0: Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show.
1: Um, that was really nice. Really, really lovely. How you doing, Tom? Not bad, Dr. Joe. It's, uh, it's been a week. It has been a week. Some strange things have happened this week. Is that what you're implying? Yeah, what happened? Well, right now, my my computer is all off, so I'm actually on my phone, folks, so... Hopefully this will be all right tonight. Trust me, Uh,
0: everyone, he sounds much better on the phone.
1: Thank you so much, thank you all. Yes, it's been really an interesting uh, few minutes. Uh, So all of you listeners can know that stress is real, anxiety is real, but you can manage it in our lifetime. That's what stress is all about. Remember, it's just a cortisol response. Once you know what's happening, you put your hand on your forehead and you keep it frontal, don't go limbic, it's fine. That's where we are. So there's actually, there's been a lot going on. Um, Working on my musical again, everything's good. But what's really fascinating is what is happening in our world in terms of respect and how people are being treated. So with that in mind, can you introduce our guest for tonight?
0: Absolutely, Dr. Joe. So today's guest I have been following for about as long as I've been following past guests, Alana McLaughlin. She is an LGBTQ plus legislative researcher, activist, and mom.
1: Everybody, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show, Erin Reed. Hello, Erin Reed. I'm so glad to have you here, and I do apologize for my technical difficulty.
2: It's okay, hi. Thanks for having me on.
1: It is a pleasure to have you here. Um, I know that, that Tom um, was able to actually contact you and get you here. I'm I'm just so honored that you're here. There's so much to talk about. Um, but you want to tell folks a little bit about yourself and what the mission is?
2: course, yes. Yeah. So I am an activist, a content creator, and a queer legislative researcher. Um, I do a number of digital forms of activism and or- organizing. So I track legislation that affects the LGBTQ community around the country, as well as I create the largest um, transgender-informed consent hormone therapy resource, which allows you to find the nearest informed consent hormone therapy clinic near you. It's been accessed over 3 million times. Um, I care a lot about the community that I belong to and about the decisions that are being made around the country that affect people like me.
1: And, and how, did, how did this start for you? Where, where did this begin?
2: Of course. So in 2019, uh, a bit over three years ago, nearly four now, Um, I transitioned early in the year and found that it was very hard to access healthcare resources. Um, In particular, there was no centralized place that could tell you where to go if you wanted to go ahead and medically transition genders. And so given that it was so difficult for me, um, I found that the information was out there all over the internet, but it was not consolidated in one place and in an easy to find format. And so um, the community had helped me a lot uh, at the time, and so I wanted to give back to to the community by um, doing what I know how to do best, which is use the internet to do things. I've been uh, on online activism for quite a long time, and so I consolidated all of these healthcare resources together and released them all in one batch to the public. And ever since then, people just started getting in touch with me Networking with me, that's how I started getting involved in activism, that's how I started getting involved in the legislation that's being pushed around the country. Once I had a following, I pivoted a bit to focus on laws that were being proposed, especially in 2020 and 2021, and ever since then, I've just become very ingrained and networked into the community, and I try to help help out as many people as I can through information and networking.
1: And I mean, I'd I'd love to hear what some of those things are that happened in 2021. I I mean, I I know about our our listeners may not, but if it's okay, can you just talk a little bit about yourself and your own journey? And when did you start knowing that you wanted to transition?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so, you know, everybody's journey is different. Everybody's transition is different. Everybody's um, way that they become comfortable with who they are is different. Uh, For myself, I was a very young kid. I was, I think, eight years old Whenever I first um, expressed ideas or thoughts around transitioning genders before before there were words for it. For me, I I come from a very rural red state, Louisiana, um, born and raised deep in the swamps and poverty. And so this was not something that I had immediate access to, be it knowledge or information, but I did know what I wanted and I knew myself. Um, I think it wasn't until 12 years old, 13 years old, that I was given access to the internet, which was a wonderful thing for me as a kid. Um, This was in around the year 2000-ish, whenever I had first discovered through searches online that being trans was a thing that you could transition genders. Um, For four or five years, I used my name, the name that I currently use, Erin Online, um, and eventually decided that that would be a difficult journey for me, especially living where I did. And so I just kind of kept it quiet for a very long time until my adult life. Um, And then 2019 happened. And I suppose that 2019 brought a lot of changes for a lot of people, 2020 with the COVID pandemic. uh, I had transitioned a little bit before then um, just through speaking to a therapist and letting my feelings out, moving to a new state, moving from Louisiana to Maryland. So. It was it was quite a journey for me, but I'm very happy that I took it. Um, my life is so self actualized right now, and it's in a good place, and that's why I take the beauty and confidence and this self actualization that I've achieved, and I try to use that to help other people get to that same point.
1: It's such an important message as well. Can I ask another sort of personal question? Why was it? And why do you think it is so difficult in our country for, for people to be who they want to be?
2: I've got a lot of feelings about this, a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I think that in our country, in, in the United States, there exists a system of hierarchies that have been ingrained within our culture around masculinity, around what femininity means, around your value as a person, as a worker, as Everything that everything that we are told and programmed, I, I feel, um, can kind of keep us from deviating from that path. And and I do think that there are forces like electoralism, where you know people that are different are often in, immediately targeted as and othered, and therefore used for a quick advantage, be it in a voting election or be it in a classroom setting with some bullies. So so I feel like you know. People sometimes don't get what they don't understand. And now with visibility, increasing visibility in the United States of people like me and of transgender people and queer people and LGBTQ people, um, we are seeing people more free to be themselves, which is a beautiful thing. But we're also seeing backlash. And a lot of people are having to deal with that for the first time in in their lives for some people.
0: It's unnerving seeing how confident and just comfortable being out with it. Some people are just being outright bigoted. So there's that other Joe podcast. So there's another podcast hosted by a Joe that had on this guy uh, named Matt Walsh, who has been mentioned on the show before, who is a propagandist, a self-described theocratic fascist, a white supremacist. And he went on to the most listened to podcast on the planet and was uncontested except on one point because it was so absurd. What point was that? That there are quote millions of kids undergoing hormone therapy in this country, which on its own, first off, I- I- HRT is one of the most unjustifiably misunderstood things that I have talked about today. First off, Joe Rogan does HRT. He do- He has done more HRT than most people alive.
1: And, it's and, and just 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 for our audience, the HRT
0: the acronym is hormone replacement therapy. Got it. So if you do. If you inject exogenous testosterone, that's HRT, that's gender affirming care. If you do a hair transplant, that's gender-affirming care. But if it's something I think is icky, then it's a threat to society.
2: You're you're entirely correct. And so I'm gonna jump in here because this is something that you, you you raised a really good point. Um, so for one, yes. Yeah, so uh, Matt Walsh did go into the Joe Rogan show and had mentioned that on whenever discussing what transition entails for uh, LGBTQ youth, uh, had mentioned that millions of kids are on HRT. He was live fact-checked on the show, um, which was quite surprising given the, given the Joe Rogan show. However, he was live fact-checked on the show and they determined that um, the actual number of transgender youth on HRT was something like 4,700. Uh, this was from a, a recent study that had come out. And so it's, it's actually, a lot of people don't really realize how exceedingly rare trans youth medical transition actually is. Um, a lot of times the resources aren't there. The You have to live next to a clinic. You have to have parental uh, consent. You have to have often very heavy, very heavy psychological care. Most families that I speak to have a year or two worth of therapy um, before e- anything is even considered. And so, yeah, the numbers are actually quite, quite low. And it's amazing how much um, certain forces in our country have demonize this group of people, given that it's such a low number of people in our society. And yet it has taken up such an outstanding, like over overly emphasized portion of the public discourse lately.
0: Who are also taking over uh, high school sports. So Erin, my my wife's friend is a swimming referee or something. And uh, girls swimming. And a few of the girls are transgender. And then they beat all the other girls by a thousand. It's a totally true story. I didn't just make that up,
2: of, of course. Of course, this is happening all over the United States all, all of these over every every school that I've heard of a school a couple towns away. It's always a couple towns away, by the way. yep. Um, you know, it's it's really funny that you mentioned this because um in the state of Utah, There was a law that was passed really recently that was um, that essentially would take any person accused of being transgender in sports and put them in front of a panel of experts who would judge their gender. Um, The state of Utah had reportedly only had a single transgender girl competitor in the entire state. And so whenever they did this law, the law was allowed to go into effect. Um, And then there was a particular student who uh, actually was three students who were accused of being trans, all three of them turned out to be cisgender, the courts overturned it immediately after that. Funny how it works that way. This is, what people, this is what people warned about though, because in actuality, laws that generally tend to target transgender people more often also affect and target cisgender people that are gender nonconforming. And you see this happen all the time. You see this in bathrooms. Um, really recently, for instance, there was a case uh, on TikTok where um, a cisgender female, meaning a, a female that was born assigned female at birth, Um, was accused of being a transgender woman um, because they simply did not have an appearance that matched what you might expect a cisgender woman would look like. So yes, we see this all the time. This is something that occurs. And I mean, it's gotten so out of
0: hand. My, uh, My other wife's friends who owns a school has litter boxes in the classrooms for people who identify as cats. That's not made up.
2: Litter boxes everywhere. And in fact, the person that you mentioned earlier, Joe Rogan, was the originator or one of the originators, one of, the originators. of this rumor. It was actually originally, I think, on Libs of TikTok, but, you know, yeah. neither here nor there.
0: Yeah, so I gotta uh, want to talk about that one just for a bit uh, because it's so much darker than that. So Dr. Joe and listeners, you'll hear this like, oh, it's gotten so out of hand style story where that mentions litter boxes in classrooms for students who identify as cats if that sounds ridiculous and stupid it's because it's ridiculous and stupid and editorializing here this is not the opinion of the dr joe show if you believe that maybe you're ridiculous and stupid
1: Mm, um, yeah i I, i'm not sure how people are feline about that yeah Um, so
0: uh sorry so, the, so there was kitty litter in this school, Stockton Classrooms, as part of their protocols on school shooters. So mm-hmm. each classroom has a bucket, a tent, and a bag of kitty litter for kids that need to use the bathroom.
1: So I, I, it is really fascinating. Why do you think some people actually believe this stuff? Aaron, what, what do you think?
2: I think that people, um, this has happened before you know, like this has happened before, not, not just with trans people, this goes back and back and back. I mean, whenever you have a, minor- a minority that you don't understand, one of the easiest things to do to get a quick laugh, to get a anger response from people to spread fear is to start accusing them of outlandish things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see, we've seen virtually every minority in the book has had this kind of treatment before. And with transgender people, it's kitty litter that gets spread on a massive Twitter account that then gets repeated in state legislators legislatures. There were there was um, a news article of how like 18 different state legislatures repeated this rumor as if it was fact. I watched the Missouri legislature debate whether or not transgender kids should have access to health care. And this came up as fact in that legislative hearing. And so, you know, it's I guess it's easy to like, if you already are scared of a group and you're already demonizing your group for electoral gain, you try to come up with something that's going to really make that impact. I will say this though, there was um, really recently, mid-October, I stopped at a in a small rural town in, in uh, McDonald's and I got down and I heard um inside I overheard some people mention like talking to their kids and I heard the word transgender and I'm like oh god I'm in like a small rural town I've got my rainbow earrings on do I need to take them off I'm kind of scared Uh, but then I overheard a little bit more and they were literally talking about how like it's a bs conspiracy theory how the kitty litter was a bs conspiracy theory so they identified it they knew that it was Uh they were like yeah, this is, this isn't right. And how like trans people just want equality. And, and that really like, it was a big moment for me because I come from a small town, a small red, red rural town. And like, I was scared in that circumstance because of the interactions that I have had in the past, you know, growing up in Louisiana and growing up in a rural town, but then hearing that, like, even these random people were talking about it and like talking about it and and interrogating it. Like, I don't know. I think something inside me just says that like people do maybe hopefully see through this stuff
1: yeah it sounds like there was some hope in that the other the other important word was demonizing because human beings i think we're, we really are social animals um and we rely on other human beings so i truly believe that one of the only ways that we can hurt somebody else is to dehumanize them and that's what demonizing is. These aren't really human anymore. So it's okay for us to hurt them.
2: What do you think of that hypothesis, Aaron? I think that's a very astute observation. And you know, I have been tracking this kind of language for a while now because it can lead to further issues and to further violence even. And one of the steps that you need to watch out for in the targeting of a minority group is dehumanization language um a lot of times for instance and i've seen i've watched hundreds of hours of legislative hearings i've seen transgender people compared to rodents i've seen transgender people compared to viruses um there was a particular um person in missouri who in a legislative hearing essentially compared transgender people to a virus infecting our schools and and so yeah dehumanization is essential If your end goal is to eliminate a population, and there are, make no doubt about it, there are groups of people that want to eliminate transgender people, that want transgender people to not exist, that want, if we do exist, for us to be in hiding like things used to be, like they were 40, 50 years ago. And so um, dehumanization is absolutely something that is going on. And it's an astute observation to point that out.
1: Is that actually a positive? hopeful thing about us as humans that the only way we really can hurt someone else is to dehumanize them
2: i see i see what you're getting at there and and you know yeah i think i personally so like people will I tell people that I'm an optimist a lot and I am an optimist. I always have been uh, people asking how I can keep fighting even in the face of like all the stuff that we're facing right now. And it is because I'm optimistic. I do think that there are pathways to acceptance, social acceptance to, you know, beauty and to people finding fellowship with one another. Um, so, yeah, I do think that that is the only way to truly get one over on a group of people is to dehumanize them and to, to lower their value as human beings to you. Yeah. But make no doubt about it. We have that, like people are doing that. And yes. I, I hope that people recognize that, that it's not a good thing to do, you know?
1: Yeah, I hope so too. And I, I share your optimism, I really do. I have a lot of faith in who we are as human beings, but everybody wants the same thing. We, we just want to feel valued by somebody else. Think about every person you've ever met. The problem is we have spent millennia increasing our value by decreasing somebody else's. And then we're astonished that the other person does the same. But at any and every moment, you can remind someone of their value. Whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. That's what I'm hoping we can do. And that is part of why you know, I'm really am so grateful that you're here on the show, because we can start talking about that. How do we change this? We know what's happening but what do you think? How do we change it? Between
2: 1980, 1990 to 2010, we saw the largest shift in attitudes towards LGBT people, especially lesbians, gays, and bisexual people, especially as it pertains to marriage. Uh, It was one of the largest swings in public opinion polls in history. Um, The idea of, do you believe that a gay person should have the right to marry. Back in like the early 80s and 90s, the number was 20 to 30 percent, and now it's 75 to 80 percent. These are ostensibly the same people answering the polls. I mean, sure, sure, some of them have died, but a lot, a large number of the population that answered no back then answer yes today. And I truly think that it's because they no longer gay people, lesbians, bisexuals were no longer this other but they were people that you knew. They were Mm. your aunt. They were your brother, your sister, your children. It's much easier to hate a group of people who are this ephemeral idea than it is to hate people that you have loved, than it is to hate people that you know. And I do think that that is the hope. I think that with transgender and queer people and gender non-conforming people and non-binary people, I think that the hope is that as more and more people know who we are and are our friends and are the people that love us, those attitudes can continue to change. And I think they already have. I think that's why, I don't think it's social contagion. I think it, it's because people are being accepted that you, that you see more people feeling free enough to be themselves in public. And I, you know I am hopeful. That's one of the things that gives me hope. I saw a Gallup poll the other day, or actually was a Pew research poll showing that I think it's something like 49% of people know a transgender person personally, like, is, is friends with somebody or family to somebody. And the more that number grows, I think the better things will get.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I think it really is about knowing people, accepting people, embracing people, welcoming people.
0: There are fewer than half as many living creatures on the planet from 1970. Uh, We have growing wealth disparity, rising tensions around the world between nuclear powers. But we're the number one problem in the world. Obviously, we can all agree. Wokeness. (laughs)
1: How did that happen, Tom?
0: I don't know but I know that like it it entraps the minds of so many children like millions of children will transition and then regret it. Hmm. They all like 99% regret it right Aaron?
2: Oh yeah yeah all of these um millions and millions more than we actually have kids or are detransitioning <laughs> That's how big the
0: problem it. is. That's how big the problem is. It is it's pretty stunning.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the cynicism in this and the sarcasm. But but really, it is it really is an issue that people worry about this. And, you know, where does that come from, Erin? What do you think?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit about this. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, because I do personally know detransitioners. And I think that as an active transgender person who talks about transgender legislation, transgender rights and acceptance, self-acceptance. This is something that people are afraid of. They're they're terrified that, you know, what if I detransition? What if my friends, what if my son, you know, transitions and detransitions? Um, will they be damaged permanently? Are there going to be negative effects? And I want to talk a little bit about this because I, I have some personal experience with this as well. Um, number one is that detransition or desistance, depending on which term you use, desistance is usually used with kids um, and transgender teenagers, whereas detransition is usually used with transgender adults who have transitioned fully and then, re- then detransitioned. The number one thing to realize is that it is relatively rare. There's a ton of studies out there. they generally range between one to eight percent. But the other thing is that the reason why people do it, and the reason why people do it almost, I mean, I know the studies behind this, but I also know like the personal, the, my personal experiences with this, which do line up with the studies. So often the reason people do it is because they're, they're afraid. They're afraid of their family. They're afraid of their peers. They're afraid of their workplace. They're afraid that things are gonna get worse for them. Um, people get harassed. People get treated very meanly. And a lot of times whenever that happens, yeah, they'll, they'll say, I need to just step back, go back to this old life. It was easier that way. At least I didn't have to get called names in public. And there's so much that goes into this. Okay. Because it's like all of the things that help a transgender person essentially exist in society without being harassed more. So, like hair removal, voice therapy, these things, they cost so much money and it's gated behind so many gatekeepers. And whenever you think about that, and then think about this argument being used against all transgender people, all they're doing is trying to fuel that fire. They're trying to create a more toxic environment to transition into, they're trying to make it more scary so that people do feel afraid to do it. Um, I will say personally that I, and it was a very long time that I didn't consider myself this, but in recent years I have, I consider myself having detransition. But whenever I was 12 to 16 years old, Any time that I was not at school, uh, I essentially presented as myself. I was online. I chatted, I video chatted. I did voice chatting with people. I I knew who I was. I 100% knew who I was back then. And I considered myself transgender as a teenager. And I stopped. I stopped considering myself that for quite some time because it was such a toxic environment. It was such a scary environment. And there was no way as a teenager back in the 1990s, early 2000s, that it was even a possibility for me. And so I just want to close off of this part of like my personal views on this by saying I think that the stigma around detransition decreases whenever you have a decreasing stigma around transitioning. Stop making it out to be a huge deal and you're not going to see the same worry about detransitioning as well.
0: It's the same thing as the suicide rates, yeah? Like so a, a, another big argument against the very existence of trans people is that, oh, well, they have such a high suicide rate, 43%. Well, why do you think,
1: idiot? Is that a true number, Tom? 41,
2: um, 40, 41% attempt something, it's definitely in the double digits succeed. Wow. Um, it's, it's, suicide is such a prevalent issue within the transgender community and it all centers around acceptance and affirmation and access to care it's it's terrifying like it's this is something that we contend with and this is why whenever we talk about these issues around like pronoun usage and name usage legal name changes access to hormone therapy this isn't like just some sort of cosmetic thing like this is something that has a real world direct life and death impact on so many people. And you don't understand it unless you've experienced it. You know, it's it's, it's hard to even put into words the, the sheer trauma that you experience as a transgender person, not being affirmed, being the opposite of affirmed, being stigmatized, demonized, being denied care. And so this is a big deal for me because I do know people, many transgender people that have taken their lives. I've known them personally. I think every Single transgender person, especially if you're active in the community, can probably name off a dozen people that they know that have taken their lives, and it's not because they have transitioned. It is almost universally because their parents disowned them, they lost their job, their best friends no longer want to talk to them, and that's that's what I'm trying to fix. You know, that's what I'm trying to. That's why I'm out there. That's why I'm talking to people. That's why I'm talking to you. That's why I'm sharing these resources. That's why I'm active in the legislative fights. It's because the more you can turn down the temperature around transgender people, the easier it is for us to exist without feeling like we're a danger to ourselves. Yeah.
1: You know, as as a psychiatrist, one of the questions that I ask people who are are suicidal is, do you want to die or do you wish you had a different life? And they wish they had a different life. They wish they were accepted and, and, and valued. And when we're not as human beings, sometimes we just we just give up. So, I really hope people are listening to this. We can do something very different. You know, you you know someone in your life, listeners, uh, who may really need your help and really need your value to help them. Aaron, we um, we've been talking a lot about the transition, what do we tell our kids? And at what age do we start telling kids?
2: So I transitioned, I had, um, I've mentioned before, I think I have, but I I do consider myself a mother and I have a seven-year-old child. I transitioned whenever he was three years old. And the first thing that I was told by um, my parents who at the time were not accepting and still have some issues is that you're gonna confuse your kid. Your kid isn't gonna understand. And I can say with ease, my son understood at three years old better than the vast majority of adults that I had spoken to. I all that I did, literally all that I did, was I read him books that had transgender or gender nonconforming people in them so that he understood like this is something that exists. I explained in very simple language who I was, what I was going through and what I was doing. And he did not skip a beat. I think it was maybe a couple of weeks after I started voice training that he came, I I let him call me whatever he wanted to call me. I didn't say you had to call me this. You had to call me that. He was walking upstairs one morning or one night and he says, good night. And then he he takes two steps down and looks at me and he says, good night, mom and he (laughs) smiled he had he had like the biggest smile and i cried and i hugged him it was really beautiful that's that's what happened since then and i also remember dropping him off at daycare at three years old and dressing differently and all of the kids like within within like a day like it wasn't even i didn't even have to do anything i just changed my clothes and he was talking about his mom to his friends and within a day like Andy your mom's here like it was just that easy. Mm -hmm. I have adults in my life from back whenever I was pre-transition like four years ago um, who still struggle with this. and the kids the kids understand it and I think it's it's I really think it's because kids don't have their people aren't born hateful people aren't born with ingrained biases people aren't born with a drive to other people and to hate them. I think that like kids are born and like our the as as ideal humans, you know they 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 love, they understand, like they they try to understand, they try to learn, and so um I don't think that there's too young an age to talk about these things to say that there are different people in this world, and in fact, I think that we would have better adults in this world if our kids are taught that at an early age. Yeah.
1: Oh, when our kids are instead of if. Yeah. Right.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. It's-
1: it's, it's, um, it's true, an infant is born without a knowledge that they are not connected to the rest of the world. They, they just, they don't see themselves as individuals. If you go to a nursery in a hospital or someplace and one baby starts to cry, they all start to cry because they think they're crying. It's only later that we begin to distinguish ourselves as individuals. And it's at that point that we do have an opportunity To help a child realize there doesn't need to be a difference. Can can I ask another thing about what, when when we use the words nonconforming, words are so important. Do you think that that sort of undermines what what the mission is?
2: It's interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I think that the words gender nonconforming are are limited in their use, but useful in a society that still centers conformity. If we could achieve a society that doesn't center on conformity, then absolutely. I I agree with you there.
1: So, Aaron, I'd asked you offline, is there a question that nobody's asked that we should be asking to understand this whole issue so much better? It shouldn't even be an issue, but it is. What do you think, Aaron?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you asked me this offline and I had a a lot of difficulty with this. I had I was racking my brain on on what doesn't get asked a lot. And I think I want to actually mention history. A lot of a lot of people think about the present. A lot of people think about what this current transgender debate, quote unquote, is about. And a lot of times they talk about being trans as a modern day invention, as something that is new, but transgender people have such, such, such a rich history. And in so many cases, we've been written out of the history books. And I think more people need to ask about our history because whenever you realize that we have a history, you realize that we belong, that we have a place, that we have a place in the present as well.
1: Mm. So let's hear, can you tell me a little bit about the history?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, back in 1929, Weimar, Germany, um, a lot of people don't realize that this was one of the high points of being a queer or a trans person. 1929, Weimar, Germany, um, they were were studying a, a man by the name of Magnus Hirschfeld, was studying transgender people in Berlin. And... Hirschfeld had gathered together a community of queer and trans people, and there are beautiful pictures of these people sitting around dinner tables, dressed to the nines, looking beautiful, looking happy, looking like you would see friends of mine sitting around a random queer bar here in the District of Columbia. And they're smiling, they're looking at each other, they're holding balloons. It's it's a beautiful, elegant environment. You've got two women dancing together. And it looks like if you would colorize it, it looks like this could be today. Of course, we know what happened 10 years later, they were very highly victimized. But I, I, I saw these pictures and like, I began to dig down the rabbit hole and learn more and more about these transgender people that existed in history that have almost been written out. Like Alan Hart, a trans man in 1920, who was a tuberculosis researcher, who a lot of our cures for tuberculosis have come from. Um, there was this woman, Lucy Anderson, who I fell in love with whenever I read the history about her. She was a black transgender woman who transitioned as a kid at six years old in 1890, and she lived her entire life as a transgender woman. She saw it all. She transitioned before it was possible to get on hormone therapy, but she did it. She was the only reason she was allowed to exist is because she was such a good cook that the town protected her because she made the best food for the entire town there was one time that a rich banker had um had had their chef staff like call out they couldn't they couldn't get it and so they went to her because they knew that she could do the party for them she was arrested in 1950 i believe for being transgender because there was a a huge you know, backlash to LGBT people in the 1950s. She eventually did make it out of jail, um, remarried her husband, they, they annulled her marriage and moved to California where she retired. But like, this, there's so much, like you go back, I, there's um, uh, Emilio Roblesavilla, who was a Mexican revolutionary, who was um, just a really famous Mexican revolutionary who fought in those wars. You go all the way back to the 1700s. I love the story of Chevalier Dion, she was this transgender woman spy who essentially extorted the King of France to get gender identity documents. She was a spy for France, moved to England, became a double agent, essentially because she wanted to get her gender recognized, got her gender recognized, left France for good and lived her life legally as the person that she said she was. But like, you can go all the way back to, oh, just, there was this poet, uh, a Jewish poet, colonomist bin colonomist in the 1300s, who wrote an entire poem about gender dysphoria. There was a Roman emperor, who I say is a Roman empress, Elagabalus, who offered the vast sums of her wealth, and I will use she, her pronouns, even though it is a historical, I truly believe that she would, in modern times, identify as transgender, who offered vast sums of wealth to any doctor that could give her surgery, that could give her bottom surgery. And like even the first author, the very first author um, ever named was a, would belong to a priesthood of Nana. Um, and this priesthood was known for transitioning essentially. And so, you know, it's it's just, Enheduanna was the author's name. And knowing that like we go back that far and we go back in multiple societies, you know, a, Native popul- indigenous populations um, often had transgender people in them as well. And we've always been here, you know, like we've always been here and this isn't a new thing. This isn't a different thing. It's just, we, we belong. Yeah,
1: yeah. Isn't it interesting how society just, we just can't embrace everyone. We've got to do that. We've been, we've been tribal for so long we just pick on groups and say you're not part of my group and so as we said earlier on you're not even a human when you were growing up um, was there bullying I mean you said that that you you decided for a while just almost to go into hiding it
2: seems there was I, I was intensely bullied I was beat up I was threatened with death by my peers it was something that I grew up with I distinctly remember one time being called a slur and shoved in the chest my breath cut fell on the ground I mean a lot of these things are very salient in my mind I remember in fact I remember the very first time that I really truly wanted to be a girl at the time um was whenever I was making flower crowns with somebody and all the boys essentially took my flower crown and teased me for it and you know, it's just like, yeah, it was hard. It was very, very difficult. And hearing stories of people now that actually are from where I, around where I grew up that are that have transitioned and seeing them actually succeed, that gives me hope. I saw there was this, there was this girl, Aria, I don't know her last name. Her name is Aria though, who is from a town an hour away from where I grew up, where I was bullied relentlessly for all this stuff. And she was nominated to the homecoming court. She's a transgender girl. And it's just like, I, I didn't believe it whenever I first read it. I was like, no, there's no way. Like this is this is actually happening even back in this place where I was shoved and kicked and called names.
1: So there's hope. And it, it's it, the passion that you talk with about this is, is inspiring. So many people would just just be angry and resentful and and basically help people to they're done and not you Aaron Reed it sounds like this is this is a passion that i mean it's so important um, takes a lot
0: this is something i get fired up about because i feel a moral responsibility for multiple reasons one is i'm on the autism spectrum and so one of the things I, I I question people about is like okay, so you agree that autism exists. You can't see it. It wasn't mentioned in history books until like the 19 like 40s, and that's like very early days. ADHD, you agree, exists. Again, not mentioned really thoroughly through history. ASMR, everyone thought like I thought I was a freak. Like to have that weird tingly feeling like no, no one else gets that right. Oh, now it's an entire subculture. So why is it so goddamn hard to imagine that someone doesn't want their entire role in the world to be defined by what's between their legs. Why is that hard to conceive of.
2: I want to say a couple things I want to actually. Say something really quick because this is kind of funny. I'm glad that you mentioned ASMR because I also experience ASMR and good old Dr. Joe here, the way he talks sometimes can trigger ASMR. Just going to say that. Right? Is <laughs> um, that a
1: good thing or not? It's a good <laughs> it's thing.
2: Freaking. It's, it's, freaking. it's, it's <laughs> like you're a you're, you're very, you're very Bob Rossi kind of. Yes, you you have a very, a very comforting, calming voice. Um, but secondarily, you, know, you mentioned all these other groups of people, all these other issues that have existed for a very long time um, and identities and self-concepts. And, and I think that like, just like being trans, there is evidence of this in history. There is, you yeah. know, people, we have existed, we really have, and just for so long, we've papered over it. But I think now, like we're realizing that we don't have to, like it's okay. And, and you're right, if you can understand that autism exists or that ADHD exists or that mental health is a thing that we care about, then you should also be able to understand like maybe our self-concept can be different depending on the person they are and not depending on the biological determinism of how they were born.
0: Because even like the gender critical people, they out themselves and like contradict themselves all the time. Like for as long as I can remember, like like in America, if you live at home after 18, you're not a man. Or if you're Mm -hmm. a woman who will only wear pants You're not ladylike. And in even in Matt Welch's documentary, uh, What is a Woman? He will go to, funnily enough, the white supremacists will go to African tribes to prove his point. But really all he proves is that gender is in fact contextual.
1: Yeah. You you know, Tom, what you said just reminded me of we were going through old stuff. We just found my parents' marriage certificate from the 1940s or so. And there's my, my father says, you know, male. And under my mother, it's spinster. You know, that's how he described her. As a, she was 19, but spinster. And I was like, wow, we uh, it's crazy how we we just put people in these little boxes and expect them to be okay being in there. It's like, what is that about? But but again, it's once we know this, once we can really recognize this about who we are as human beings, about our species, we can then do something different. I am sure of it. I truly, truly believe that we are on this evolutionary cusp, this, this moment in time where we have a choice. We can continue to do what we do and we will destroy ourselves. We have a part of our brain that can anticipate the future we keep doing what we're doing, I think we're gonna destroy ourselves or we can do something different. We can remind each other of our value. We can look at each other without judging, but wondering. It is much more rewarding to wonder than to worry.
0: Mm.
1: Much more important to be reflective than reflexive. It is much more rewarding to be amazed at who your child is than disappointed in who they are not. Parents, I hope you hear that. You will be amazed when you start really wondering who is my kid? Aaron, you've got an amazing Samuel. I I love that story. Uh, Good night, mom. It's just, it's beautiful. I
2: love him to death. And he's
1: up there. Yeah, (laughs) love it. Yeah,
0: and uh, the other reason I feel responsibility is for this is like a lot of other, you know, young men, I, well, especially be, be, being autistic and being, I'm told funny, I served as sort of a gesture for the online right for mm-hmm. a few years uh, as the the top autists in the dick show community. And so the dick show, Dick Masterson, I'll clarify is not like a Nazi. He's not like a far right figure. He's just a dumb libertarian who entertains a lot of terrible people. And I was more than happy. So I thought entertaining those terrible people, but it got old. It it felt like a taste of how it must feel for like black people to be around, people who are just going to make the same, like, oh, like watermelon. It's like, where it's not, I imagine you're not even like as offended as you are just like, God, I get it. Shut up. Uh, and 2020, if if the lockdown didn't happen and if the Black Lives Matter protest didn't happen, I don't know what trajectory it had been on because it took a pattern break for me. It took seeing mm. friends laugh reacting to videos of protesters getting run over. The question, <sighs> this, these aren't the people I thought they were. And they just became more and more unhinged and... Uh, one person who was also an offshoot of the, the Dick Show community, Nick Ricada, who's done very well on YouTube. Uh, I have very fond memories of him, uh, palling around with him. Uh, but then, Dr. Joe, I believe I've told you about Kethels. So a reminder for the audience. Kethels is a trans streamer who, in her Discord community, Discord is, imagine, just like a, 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 an instant messaging group. helped trans kids like find resources near them to help them transition however uh and this was taken like this was spun into like oh she's mailing illegal hrt and whatever she was doing it didn't warrant the response it got she did not deserve to get she got swatted she had to flee to ireland and nick ricada he says on his stream you go on the fucking wall with all the other groomers and pedophiles. And his community, the people I know, tried to bullshit me. They said, well, he meant the wall of shame. I know him well enough. I don't know him intimately, but I was in the same Facebook groups as him and I know what he meant.
1: Aaron, you wanna to respond to that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've you know i spoken to couples, I have been very, I'm very aware of this, version. I'm very aware of what that, I I saw that, I commented on it whenever it was said. Um, he ran a very popular YouTube channel, I think the channel might have been banned, it might have come back, I don't know. No, I think he's um, still gone. Nick, yeah. you did it to your self. And, and yeah, I think that like, it's another example, like people trying to put hate into this world. I know that from what I understand with Clara, um, is that she simply directed trans youth to the national resources that Canada has for transition Uh, but that's that's enough for them I mean you know we've got accounts like Libs of TikTok which spread the litter box stuff earlier um essentially shutting down children's hospitals with bomb threats instigating bomb threats and so this is nothing new this is something that this is something that is going on and I'm sorry that like you were part of that community and that like and that weighs on you. And I do believe, like personally, in people's ability to change and to get out of those communities and de-radicalize and not because down that's those... that's I'd, it's community like is to, the key word.
1: I'd like to think, Tom, that it was because you know you're part of the Dr. Joe show, but that's just my own narcissism. Um, but it's uh, it's important. It all seems there's there needs to be somebody out there who points the finger at somebody else. But what's interesting is that it does elicit so much anger and such a response. That that may be a a pivot point for us, that we can actually do something about that because there's, there's always opportunities to have a small change with a big effect and to control no one but influence everyone. We can do it. But, you know, we're coming down to the last few minutes. The I am basically says we're all doing the best we can, but we're influenced by the four domains of our home, the social domain, the biological, and the IC domain. And certainly all four of these domains are at play uh, in our discussion tonight. Because the four domains interact, a small change in any one of the domains can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. So Erin, given the topic we're talking about, what small change can you recommend to our listeners?
2: I have, I think, a good small change to recommend. And that is what I have recommended to every LGBT person who's coming out, and every transgender person that's coming out. I also recommend to cisgender people who are just allies who want to make a small change in their life. And that is to include people in your media diet who are like these people, who are like me who are like my friends, who are like the people I've spoken to you about today, include transgender content creators, include queer people in your reading. There are so many books out there. I don't care what form of entertainment you have. There are LGBT people and there are trans and queer people in particular doing it and doing amazing at it. There are books, there are movies, there are TV shows, there are musicians who are amazing. And just do that. Add... add, that one artist, add that one author, add that one TV show to your, to your diet. And you might start to learn a little bit by being exposed to that person and what they create and loving what they create and seeing them as a whole person.
1: Terrific small change. Before I get to the last question, how do people find you, get in touch with you or, or listen to your, your tweets, your blogs?
2: I am on almost all platforms at Erin in the Mourn, E-R-I-N-I-N-T-H-E, morn. Also, Erin in the morning is another one that you can find me at. I have shortened it due to character counts.
1: So, I appreciate that. We'll we'll post that, right, Tom? So, Liz, I am has a second truth. Because everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them, and you are part of someone's home or social domain, and you know it has a different effect on your brain when you feel respected or disrespected on your biological domain. This means you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Aaron Reed, what kind of influence do you want to be?
2: I think that it is so important I remember pre-transition being assumed to be a cisgender male, hearing all of what people said around me, Um, about LGBTQ people and about transgender people. And it was so easy to let so many things slide. And this goes for way more than LGBT people and for queer people. This goes for all kinds of minorities and all kinds of different people. And the influence I wanna be and the influence that I hope others can be is to not let these things slide, to be a good spokesperson, to be the better person and to stand up for people that aren't in the room and to notice Who's not in the room with you?
1: Mm. That's terrific, Aaron. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Tom, it's wonderful to have you here as well. And Larry, thanks for everything you do. To make a difference. We'll see you next week on the Dr. Joe Show.